From the cracked boombox speakers on Grandpa's old skiff to dockside jam boxes and the ultra-high fidelity sound systems of today's luxury yachts. However you listen to your favorite shows, this is the Stomping Grounds Podcast by Boat Trader. No matter where you are, locked on land or cruising topside, we're bringing you stories from real boaters all across America who show us why they love their boat and what makes it the perfect vessel for their neck of the woods. Hello, I'm your host, Ryan McVinney, and welcome to Boat Trader's Stomping Grounds podcast. This is the sister podcast to our popular video series about boating culture across America. Each podcast episode delves a bit deeper into a topic from the original video episode and features an in-depth interview with an expert in the field. You can find a link to today's matching video episode in the YouTube description or podcast show notes. And if you're listening via podcast, just know that you can always check out the video version of today's episode on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash boat trader. I'm excited to share my conversation with my good friend, Sean Joy, a remarkable underwater archeologist and a truly unique dude. We talk about his recent work that's helped redefine the modern world's understanding of our earliest cultures and civilizations and the boats that he uses to support his expeditions, plus much, much more. So let's sit down with him and catch up. All right. Hey, people, we're here with Sean Joy, uh, submerged pre-contact archaeologist. Sean, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. Good to be here, man. Cool, man. Yeah, good to see you again. Sean and I have had a bunch of fun uh, banging around, screwing around on uh, used boats, repairing them, working on them, and uh, learning about your work over there uh, doing submerged archaeology. So I think it would be a really interesting conversation. Uh, can you tell people, just describe your job a little bit? I think it, you know, maybe not everybody understands or knows what a submerged pre-contact archaeologist does. <laughs> during the last glacial maximum, uh, during the last ice age, which was like 20,000 years ago, um, sea levels were uh, 426 feet lower than they are today. So that opened up this huge landscape for folks to live on. So what I do is I look for, you know, these submerged Native American sites um, that are offshore um, to, to help understand how, you know, folks got here um, and how folks lived on the coast um, and, you know, in the process, help protect some of these sites from, you know, offshore wind development or, or sand mining. Can you share why you're passionate about doing this work, this submerged pre-contact? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, ever since I was a kid, like, I've always been, I wanted to, like, look for answers and, and, and like, explore. And the water was always, uh, you know, a, a thing that I just absolutely loved. You know, you go to the doctor's office and, and you're getting your, your blood pressure taken and, and it's high and they tell you to calm down. Like where I go in my head is like the bottom of a deep, dark river. Like that's peace for me. Um, and so, you know, one of the one of the big, bigger archaeological questions that we have is, you know, who were the first people to get here and how did they get here? Um, and so there's just so many questions that we have about submerged pre-contacts specifically um that you know the just the fact that we haven't found one you know coastal paleo indian site on the east coast or in the gulf of mexico i mean that's such a that's such a high bar to just like just go find the first one man like that's it's uh, it drives me you know what i mean it's it's one of those things where you know 
who else is looking for it? They're like, I want to go find one, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it wasn't until about you know two decades ago, you know, we had a we had a model that was it was called Clovis first, and, and we believe that you know this Clovis culture was the first folks that crossed over the the Bering Land Bridge around thirteen thousand years ago, and um, they were the first you know Americans. But over the last you know like I said, two decades, we've started to find sites that were older um, than 13,000 and, you know, stone tools that did not match up with, you know, Clovis technology. Uh, We've also done a lot of um, core analysis up in Canada and realized that the the ice-free corridor wasn't open and viable for folks to to actually, you know, migrate down it until like 12.5. 12,500 years ago. So that, that model of, you know, people walking over the Bering land bridge coming down the ice free corridor. Um, it just, it's not at this point right now, I I think there's barely anybody that's still hanging on to that paradigm, Hmm. but there are folks that are very invested in it and will, you know, scratch and crawl their way like to keep that that paradigm going but it's it's almost every year we find a site that's older um and they're they're all over the place you know that they're in florida they're in uh south america that where they're they're predating um you know this clovis culture right right yeah and that's pretty fascinating i remember learning it you know in, in public school as a kid that that was how people got here was across the land right. bridge. So this is pretty groundbreaking, right. right? Yeah, yeah. And so now we're we're completely rewriting the history books every single year. So um, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> and what I mean, like you say, so that was 13,000 years ago, saying these are older, what is what is like the oldest site you've found or around how old are they? So the oldest site that I've personally worked on is Paige Latson. And, um, and that's a really fascinating site it's it's at the bottom of the oscilla river in florida um just uh south of tallahassee and um you know we were digging these these test units at the bottom of the river literally through three feet worth of macedon shit Hmm. and it was perfectly preserved i mean you could see where you know they, they, they were eating um pieces of cypress branches and they were perfectly cut to like the size you know, of, of their jaw, um, grape seeds. We see, um, like gourd seeds and, you know, all of a sudden we start finding these stone tools and, you know, it it was just phenomenal. It was unbelievable when we want to take a site and and we want to prove that, Hey, this is a really old secure site. We can believe in it. Um, you want unequivocal artifacts. So it's, it's artifacts that there's no doubt in our mind that, that humans made these artifacts. Mm. Uh, you want secure context. So you want to make sure that, you know, there wasn't a whole bunch of mixing of, uh, of the dirt. And then you want solid dates. And so we ended up spending something like a quarter of a million dollars in just radiocarbon dates mm-hmm. to prove that this was in context. Um, they just found uh, this past year, um, footprints in White Sands, New Mexico, and 
they dated to 21,000. So of course, like whenever you have something that's super old like that, there's always going to be controversy about it. There's always going to be, you're going to have to go back. They're never, it's never going to be that Hail Mary where everybody's just like perfectly happy about your research. You just got to cover your bases and, you know, you, you got to spend a lot of money to prove to folks that this is a legitimate site. Uh, and, change the history books. What what kind of boats are, are you using to go out and do this? So we just picked up a 18 foot hydrosport, which has been like so much fun to like, nice. it was, uh, it was one of those boats that you, you, know, you could, you could tell we, we bought it. Um, you know, the, the advertisement went out and it was like a, just a bond burner boat. It's been, yeah. you know, sitting around forever. Couldn't get it running, yeah. you know, and uh, the price that they had offered was like so low that literally there were 13 people like waiting to look at the boat that day. Yeah. And we just happened to be the first ones there and we tinkered around with it. We got it started, nice. uh, got it for a sweet, sweet price and literally put like a hundred, 200 bucks into it. And nice. it's meant now. Nice. Uh, so we've been using that. We've been using that a lot because it's, it's such a small boat and it's such an easy thing to tow and we could put it in anywhere, um, you know, versus the, the sailboat, which, the, the wing of queen, it's, you know, 32 foot is draft is five feet. So it kind of limits us and, yeah. and when we can actually leave and where we can actually go. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we have uh, a 32 foot, 2004, 32 foot Donzi that we just bought. Nice. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Dual, dual uh, diesel motors. So like, that's really going to help us with a lot of the grant money that we have. It's just like cutting the cost of fuel. Yeah. Uh, that where is in the shop right now, just kind of getting its its tune up, and uh, yeah, hopefully that'll be hitting the water here soon. Okay, cool. How how big is the Donzi? Thirty two foot. The, 30, oh, it's the same as the, yeah. as the sailboat. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's insane. Like <laughs> the size and the and the the layout of the you know the motor cruiser versus the Donzi is just like holy. Yeah. <laughs> so and your Hydrosport. What year is the Hydrosport? It's uh, 1994. Okay, and that's a little yeah. sh- that's a little shorter, right? It's like 20, yeah, 20 yeah, 18 foot. foot. 18. Yep, 18 foot. That's kind of like you're banging around, get out there quick. Yeah, Boom. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it, it like I said, man. It's so easy to just like put that in anywhere, you know. Just tow it around. You yeah. Know? It's uh, it's it's definitely a, a a more relaxing boat for me versus like you know, the, the sailboat where we're like, you got to constantly be looking at the tides. Like, Oh my God, we're not going to make it in tonight. Right. Like, we're going to have to just like, anchor offshore and, and live out here tonight. Have um, you had to, have you had to do that before? Oh yeah. 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 We'll usually take the, the dinghy into the beach and, yeah. you know, chill out there, go run back and forth if we need beer or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. That, that our, our ports, you know, that our marinas that are in the Appalachian Bay region, um, you know, the tides, kind of play a big role in <laughs> when you can leave and when you can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty shallow cuts yeah, to get in yeah, and out, right? Right. I know people should know also that like Sean and I, uh, I think it seems that we both share the passion for buying uh, used junker boats right. <laughs> and fixing them up. <laughs> so, Dude, I have but, so much fun doing it. It's, it's great. It, like I know a lot of people, they get frustrated in it, but there's nothing better than like taking something that doesn't work or runs like a sh- piece of shit and then turn it around and making it go, Yeah, you know, and like figuring out what's wrong, you know, yeah. just start going down the list, switch this out, switch that out. 
Yeah. So, yeah. It's very empowering and satisfying when you, yeah, when you yes, get, it, certainly is. it can be frustrating when you don't get there some days. But. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, what the, f- what is it? <laughs> well, actually, I mean, and Sean and I just started, um, another little video series for boat trader besides stomping grounds, which is, uh, called backyard boaters. And, and, you know, last month we were having fun messing around with an old whaler that's yeah. pretty beat up and the motor yeah. hadn't run in years, but we got it running. So in a day, in a day, what, yeah, which is day. phenomenal, man. Last we touched base, uh, you were about to follow the St. Mark's, uh, like out off the coast of Florida. And this is when we were there for those that haven't seen yeah. the full episode of our stomping ground series. It's all about exploring boat culture across America. You know, we were, we were going up and down the St. Mark's on a little deck boat. Um, learning about that but can you tell me like a little bit about that project and if you guys found anything cool yeah so i ended up following the saint marks out just with uh some side scan sonar to kind of look for you know landscape features that would have been um kind of useful for you know native americans back when it was dry land mm-hmm. um, but we just we got um two grants to work um in between the saint marks river and the Osceola river um, and we, we've developed as a kind of a, a, a group research um, cohort between the Europeans and some of the folks in, in Florida um, that we've developed a way to detect um, submerged pre-contact sites using a sub-bottom profiler, which, which basically pings out um, low-frequency sounds to look below um, the bottom of the ocean. And what we figured out is a lot of the artifacts um, that that are naturally made when folks are making stone tools, we call them flakes, um, they're perfectly shaped to resonate at the same frequencies that the sub-bottom profiler mm-hmm. um, emits. And so with resonance, like everything has a natural resonance. I'm sure you've like heard the or seen the, the you know the singer that sings at the glass and it starts to vibrate and break. So yeah. we're talking about that same process happening, okay. but with the artifacts. And so the artifacts are vibrating and the sub bottom profile is picking it up. And so we've been kind of just doing lines back and forth between the St. Marks and uh, the Osceola River, and so far. You know, when, when they were finding the those submerged pre-contact sites in uh, in Appalachian Bay, which which is where we're working, you know, it was years and they that it took them to find 20 sites. And, you know, Morgan Smith and I went out and found 20 sites in like three days. Wow. Uh, and the, our success rate is somewhere up at like 86%. Every time we go and dive a target, there's a submerged pre-contact site at it. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really it's it's a technology that you know we gotta keep pushing it and we gotta see where the limitations are, but it's something that'll fundamentally change the way that we do archaeology in the future. Yeah, man, congrats on finding all the sites. Yeah, That's man, it's been cool. fun. <laughs> Sub bottom profiler sounds fancy. Yeah, that was yeah. That, it's funny. That was my nickname in high school. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Gabe had actually uh, brought up a point. Uh, what are the signatures that you use for finding archaeological remains? I think you kind of just talked about that, but I don't, I mean, that's not a world I know a lot about. Is there anything yeah. else to say on that? So, you know, the, the model that we use now um, is called the Danish model. And what that Danish, the, 
the Danish were, of course, the ones that, that came up with it. But basically, they took um, cultural history. So they, they looked at where folks would would camp out or, you know, how they would use a landscape for either fishing or camping or, um, you know, freshwater resources. And they took the sea level curve um, to see where the coastline was throughout history. And then they would hone in on those landscapes where there should be uh, preservation. And so they would, they were using this model up in the North sea and they, they had, pretty good success um, in finding a lot of um, Stone Age sites um, up in the North Sea. So that's kind of the model that we use here in the U.S. whenever we're doing, um, you know, federal jobs or state jobs have, um, you know, state agencies have also picked up, um, you know, these models. But the problem with that is it it highlights these, these areas where, you know, the high probability areas where folks may have lived but it excludes anything outside of like river channels. And, you know, folks didn't just live in, in these paleo channels. They lived all over the place. And, you know, some of the sites that we were working in in Appalachia Bay are nowhere near a river. Right. Um, and they have such great, you know, they're deflated sites. So basically it was a, an intact site when the water levels of the sea rose enough it washed out just the dirt, but left the artifacts in place. And so they settled down to the bottom where they're at, you know, to this day. And, um, you know, we're finding these specific spots where you could see someone broke off a big rock from, you know, the bedrock and brought it about 20 meters south and started making stone tools out of it. And it's just this, you know, compact little spot. And who knows, it might've been a cool tree stump that, you know, somebody was sitting on. Uh, but a lot of the, the chipping debris from making those stone tools fit back together and they're side by side and they've been submerged for, you know, probably 5,000 years. So they've, they've gone through 5,000 years worth of hurricanes, but they're still, you know, relatively intact. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, the, these sites never would have been found using, you know, the Danish model that we use, um, you know, today. So hopefully the, the so that method uh, with using the sub-bottom profile is called the Hall method. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's human, uh, human altered lithic detection system. Okay. Um, and so hopefully, you know, if we can start working in the Hall method and using the Danish model, um, you know, to start locating more sites, um, you know, it gives us a, a better opportunity you know, it's a big ocean out there, man. <laughs> yeah. And trying to find these these locations is extremely difficult and extremely costly. Yeah. But if we can narrow it down to, you know, specific areas that we can concentrate on, um, like I said, it'll just fundamentally change the way that we do archaeology. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if, like, listeners are getting how, like, I think that's so cool that the, the coast was... Like how, how far away do we think the, the actual coast was from where it so is it now? So it really depends on where you are in the U.S. So when you're in Florida. Like, yeah, along <laughs> the, the Forgotten the, Coast kind of area. Oh, yeah. Like the, the coastline was, you know, 150, almost 200 miles south yeah. of where it is today. If you go out to California, though, um, where the topography, the offshore bathymetry is really steep. So it didn't right. really move all that much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you go along the Atlantic coast, um, you know, that distance changes, but 
you know, it's anywhere on average to 60 miles from, you know, where it is today. Yeah. So it's such a, a huge area to, you know, investigate. And, you know, you, you take folks, folks usually had a, um, a range in which they could walk in a, in a specific day. And it's usually about 10 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about, you know, these paleo Indians that are living on the coast, they weren't walking to the modern coastline that we have on the, on the East coast. So really we, we have no idea about these folks. We have no idea like how they lived, how they used the coast, what kind of tools they used. Um, nothing. We've, we've not one site. Um, so, you know, doing the work off offshore is just such a great opportunity to fill in, you know, these huge gaps in human history. Do you guys ever deal with like submersibles, like submarines or anything? Or, or um, so the the company that I work for, the private uh, company Search, we we partner up with uh, Ocean Infinity, and they have like some of the world's most incredible uh, automated vessels mm-hmm. and uh, AUVs. Cool. Um, and yeah, that that like that's going to be the future of a lot of this offshore survey is just. You throw, you know, some of these boats are 70 meters long. They're gigantic yeah. and they're automated. People are, you know, steering and, and, uh, and collecting data from onshore. Wow. Uh, you know, so that gives us a, a huge cut in emissions because they're electric. Right, right. Um, a huge cut in, in pay for, you know, having to have, um, you know, merchant marines on the boat, you know, running the boat. In addition to the scientists, you know, now the scientists can just sit in their living room, you wow. know, and watch the data stream in. And it also gives us a, a super awesome uh, opportunity to share, you know, some of these data with uh, students and kind of get them excited and, and uh, you know, inspired to, to enter into the, the marine, um, you know, the marine world and, and doing a lot of this research. Wow, that's cool. And by the way, where could people learn more about this if they want? I mean, in addition to watching our our Stomping Grounds episode where we we have you talk about it, but where else can they go to learn more if if they want? So we have a a nonprofit that we have set up. It's uh, called the Archaeological Co-op. And you can find that online at artcoop.org. That's we can we can put it up on the on the screen for you here. It's right here. <laughs> and, uh, and the private firm that I work for, uh, search. So search.com, okay. um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of, you know, folks there that do everything, you know, involved in, in, uh, archeology. span I think we have something like 44 sectors, uh, special sectors that people, you know, specialize in and, you know, submerged pre-contact is one of them. Uh, and I lead that sector. So, yeah. Um, well, Sean Joy, it's been a joy. <laughs> thanks, <Yeah>. for, thanks, <laughs> thanks for talking Ready to us. You, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to the next time you're uh, you're down in Florida. We can tinker around with boats and drink some beers. Oh man, I can't wait. I'm uh, I'm already planning my next trip. So awesome, man. Awesome. Hell yeah, dude. Cool, man. All right, we'll we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. All right. See you, dude. All right. Cheers. All right, everyone. Thanks for watching and listening to the Stomping Grounds podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider following or favoriting the show. Please tune in to the next episode. And for now, we'll see you out there on the water. Stay floating, America.